Have you ever felt like you're not doing enough for God? I mean, God is so big and God has done so much. And here's little old me. I'm just so insignificant. You know, maybe if I just tried harder, maybe if I did more for God, then then God would sort of uh, accept me or he would like me more. Or I'd have these feelings of guilt and inadequacy that would go away. Uh, you know, and, and maybe you've heard this type of thing expressed in church where a preacher will tell you that you're just a no good, dirty dog that will never amount to anything, you know, and and you come away, you hear some people after church say, oh boy, that was church. You know, the preacher really got on to me. He stepped on all my toes. Well, you know, if, uh, if your idea of church is that uh, someone makes you feel guilty all the time or someone chews you out for not being perfect enough, someone who's supposed to represent God is nothing but angry and vindictive towards you, then maybe something's gone off the rails somewhere. You know, I'm not sure if that's what church is supposed to be. And maybe we've lost sight of how God really views us. And I want to talk about that today. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul mentions the mystery of Christ in which other generations, uh, this mystery was not made known to the sons of men as it now has been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Now, did you catch that? God had a mystery. God had a secret and he kept it secret from generations and generations and generations of men. But now he has made it revealed. Now God has shown us what he has been up to this entire time. And so back a long time ago, humans didn't know what God was up to. Angels and other spiritual beings, they didn't know really everything that was in and as a part of God's plan, what God was really up to, they didn't know what he was doing. Even the devil himself did not know what God the Father was doing. Only God the Father and the Son and the Spirit really knew what was going to happen. But now this mystery, this divine mystery has been revealed and it includes you. It includes me. And so that's why it's so important that we understand this. So do you want to know what this mystery is? This mystery hidden from people for ages and ages, what it really is? Well, I'll I'll just go ahead and tell you. The mystery is this, that God is creating a family. This is a family that includes humans. It it means that uh, God is including people that uh, some are Jews, some are not Jews, some are Gentiles. And he's building us up, as Ephesians says, into one new man. And so this is something that no one had ever considered, really conceived of, uh, but this is what God is doing. And he's doing this, he's bringing us together in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus, the Son of God, died on a cross and he was resurrected from the grave, the result is now that anyone from any nation, speaking any language, from any background, it really doesn't matter what your skin color is, it doesn't matter uh, whether you're wealthy or poor, it doesn't, none of that really matters. What matters is that anyone now can put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. They can become a part of God's eternal family. And you might say, well, I, I already knew that, uh, preacher. You know, thank you so much. But, you know, why is this a mystery? 
Uh, well, it might not be a mystery to you because you live on this side of the cross. You, you may have read that in your Bible or a pastor or somebody might have told you that. And so you have, you maybe you have an understanding of that already. But for the longest time, it wasn't that way. And so some of this mystery goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel incident. You remember that? Mankind decided that he was going to basically become a god. And so mankind was uh, getting together with the rest of humanity and they were going to build this great tower that reached up this fake, fake mountain of God that would reach up to the heavens and then they would be as high as God. They would become as great as God. And so what God did in response was he confused the people and nations were born and people spoke different languages. And so uh, by, by sanctioning off one nation from another, uh, what God also did is that God uh, had his divine counsel. These are spiritual beings that are less than him. They are created by him, but they're less than him. He gave them rulership over the nations. And so all of these nations had their own gods that they worshiped with a little g. And uh, these were, you know, we'd call them false gods and they would build idols and do all types of uh, things to quote, worship these false gods. And at the very end of Genesis chapter 11, God reserved one people for himself. And there was one man, his name was Abram. He became Abraham, but his name was Abram right there at the end of Genesis chapter 11 and the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, here's this man, Abram. And what God is going to do is that God is going to create a people that will be all his own. All of the other nations would, would essentially be worshiping other gods, but God himself is going to have a nation all of his own because God is going to, throughout history, find a way through this nation to provide salvation to the whole world. And that's exactly what God did in Christ. And so this nation that God created just for himself, it had a miraculous beginning. You know, Abraham and Sarah, they were too old to have any children. And yet God did it. God uh, gave them a miraculous beginning. Uh, when this nation grew in numbers, God saved them out of slavery in Egypt and that incredible story of the Exodus. God gave them a land in which to live. It wasn't a whole lot of land, but it was a land that was their own. It was a land that they would be able to live and worship God in freely. In Israel, this nation was unlike any of the other nations. And all the other nations, like I said, worshiped their gods, but Israel was to worship the true God, the most high God, the God of all the other gods, if you will, the Lord of all lords. And so it, this was to be Israel's God. And that's why so many of the other ancient nations hated Israel. Uh, they, they hated and despised the Israel. And it's because, uh, and it's the same reason today that so many people today continue to hate Israel. Jews. People who hate Jews are, they are led by evil spiritual forces that have always opposed the plan of God. And uh, that's true today. It was true back in that day, in ancient days. Well, eventually God's promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 would find its fulfillment in one of Abram's descendants, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through Jesus that God fulfilled his promise and is continuing to fulfill his promise to be a blessing to all of the nations of the earth.
And so this is significant because in Genesis 11, God allowed these other nations to be ruled by spiritual forces that were not him. And now that Jesus has come and in the very end of Matthew's gospel, we have the Great Commission. Jesus said these words and it's the beginning of the Great Commission. If I were to ask you how the Great Commission begins, you might say, well, it begins with Jesus saying, go and make disciples. But, but that's not actually right. The Great Commission begins in Matthew 28, verse 18, where Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And what Jesus was saying is now that he has died on the cross and he has risen from the grave, God has revoked the authority of the other spiritual forces that control the nations. And he has given all authority to his own, his one and true son, Jesus. And so all authority now belongs to Jesus. And it is Jesus' plan to bring all people who would believe into God's kingdom, regardless of nation or tribe or tongue. And so when the Spirit of God came at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it was, among other things, a reversal of the Tower of Babel, where all the nations, all the peoples had different languages that they spoke. But in Acts chapter 2, when Peter and the others preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of the people from all these different nations heard the gospel message in their own native tongue. And so what was God doing back then? And what is he doing today? God is building a family. And it's not just a family from his own chosen people. It's not just a family from Israel, but it's a family that includes outsiders as well, us Gentiles. It includes us as well. Now, did anyone in the heavenly places uh, that, that exist or anyone on the earth truly understand what God was doing? The answer is no. There were clues sprinkled here and there throughout the Hebrew scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, but no one really put it together until God revealed it to his apostles and his prophets in the New Testament. Now, why would God do all of this? Why would God go to so much trouble to create a nation that would include people from all of the nations of the world, to create a family of his own? And what does this have to do with me? Well, the reason God did this is because of love. And what does it have to do with you and me? I'll get to that in just a minute. But first, let's talk about the love of God. You see, one of the very best passages in scripture about marriage really isn't about marriage at all. It's Ephesians chapter five, verses 31 and 32. Paul writes, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Ephesians 5.31 basically quotes Genesis chapter 2.24, that a man leaves his parents and he uh, joins together with his wife and the two become one flesh. And so, and that's what we have, that's what we have with Adam and Eve, of course. And that's the original reference uh, with Adam and Eve. You remember the story. God created Adam, but Adam, 
he had no one to love. You know, it was like that song. Uh, he had no one to love, but uh, he had no counterpart. And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so what was the next thing that you remember in that story that God did? And you, you might say, well, God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep and he slept and God created the woman out of Adam's side. But that's not actually uh, accurate. Uh, the very next thing that God did after God said it is not good for man to be alone was that God brought all of the animals to Adam. He brought Adam the hippos and the rhinoceros and the dogs and the lions and whatever else. God brought all of the animals to Adam and Adam began to realize that each of these animals had counterparts. Each of these animals had partners. Uh, they had, they had a, a friend. They had someone who was like them. And it began to come upon Adam's realization that he was alone. He didn't have anyone like that. And so what God was doing by bringing all of these animals to Adam, for Adam to name, was that God was stirring up in Adam's heart an ability to love, a yearning to love someone else. And so God had already placed all of this love in Adam's heart, but Adam had to come to the realization that he didn't have any outlet for it. He didn't have someone who, could who, who would be the recipient of his love. And so then after Adam's heart was stirred, after he longed for someone who could be the recipient of the love that God had placed in his heart, it was at that point that God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And when Adam was in the sleep, God did some surgery. God uh, reached into Adam's side and took out some bone and took out some flesh. And from Adam's side, he fashioned uh, that flesh and that bone into a woman. And when Adam woke up, there she was. She was the most beautiful, the most amazing woman in the whole world, obviously. Um, you know, but to, to Adam, Eve was absolutely stunning. It was like Fabrizio telling Marco Corleone, I think you got struck by the thunderbolt. And, and certainly Adam had been struck by the thunderbolt. And so here's Adam. And finally, there's this person who is a counterpart to him. And Adam replied, and this is really the first quote we have from Adam. We know he named the animals, but this is the first quote we have from Adam's lips. And Adam said, this, this one right here, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Do you see what was going on? That God had placed all of the love of the human race in Adam's heart. And yet Adam had no one to give it to until Eve came along. And so then for the rest of Adam's life, he would learn to love not only what his eyes could see, but he would learn to love the real Eve. He would learn to love her spirit. He would learn to love her heart. 
And this would be a lifelong discovery that Adam would go through. And so Adam had this incredible masterpiece of God that was given to him. He finally had a recipient of all the love of the human race that was found within his heart that God gave him. Adam would now have to learn how to love her heart. Now, here's a question that I want you to consider. Where did all of the love within Adam's heart come from? And you might, of course, know the answer. And the answer would be God. All the love of Adam's heart came from God. And of course, it, that's true because God created Adam. And it must have been God who gave Adam all of that love. And he gave Adam the ability to love, gave Adam the gift that is love. In fact, the Bible says that God himself is love. And so obviously the love of Adam's heart came from God because God is love. It's, it's the very nature of God to love. And so when God made man, we know that God made man in his own image, and that has to include the capacity to love. And so the act of being in the image of God, being made in God's image, it is, it is the very act of being God's royal representative on the earth. And so we relate to one another and we are to relate to one another in love. And so Adam can't represent God unless Adam has that capacity and that ability to love. And so the very image of God means, if it, if it means anything, it means that we love one another. And so here, finally, you have Adam and Eve existing on the earth, the only two human counterparts for each other. And Adam is the one that has all of the love of God, all of the love of humanity, the human race in his heart. He is the lover. And Eve is the beloved. She's the one who will receive the love of Adam. The ancient theologian, Augustine, once said this about God, if God is love, then there must be in him a lover, a beloved, and a spirit of love. For no love is conceivable without a lover and a beloved. And I think Augustine was exactly right. You see, in the triune God, in the Godhead, God the Father is the lover. He is the one, he, the source of all love. And God the Father has love within himself. And so the question is, if God the Father is the lover, then who is the beloved? Well, the beloved is God the Son. In fact, God the Father even says so. When Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry, a voice out of the heavens said this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Later, near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus was transfigured before Peter and James and John and a cloud appeared. And out of the cloud came these words, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him twice God the Father calls the Son his beloved. This means that God the Father has love in his heart 
toward his own son. All of the passion and all of the love of God the Father is poured out upon God the Son. And so God the Father is the source. The Son is the recipient of God's love. The Son is the responder to the love from the Father. In fact, Jesus said that as well. In John 17, verse 24, Jesus is praying that great high priestly prayer. And Jesus prayed to the Father, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Think about that. God the Son knew that God the Father loved him before the foundation of the world. In fact, Jesus said earlier in John chapter 14, verse 31, he said, but so the world may know that I love the Father I do as exactly I do exactly as the Father commands me. And so Jesus has to respond to the love that God the Father has for him. He responds by loving God the Father back. Now let's talk about Adam and Eve again. Adam's love for Eve had its source in our Heavenly Father's love for his son. And and just like that. Today, a man's love for his wife has its origination in God as well. And so we know that Jesus is an equal member of the Trinity, of the Godhead. And he is the second person of the Godhead. And so you have the Father, the source of all love, having a beloved in the Son. But what about the Son? Is God the Son the source of a type of love for someone else? Does God the Son have a beloved of his own? And I believe that just as Adam had this incredible desire to love and pour out his love to a counterpart, just as God the Father poured out his love toward God the Son, I think that God the Son has an incredible capacity and desire to love someone as well. You see, God the Son is the beloved of the Father, but he is also the source of love for someone else. The plan of God the Father was to give his Son a companion, give his Son someone to love. And just as Adam had a counterpart who was simultaneously like him, but he, but Eve was not him. So God the Son has a, a counterpart, if you will, who is not him, but will become like him. And the New Testament calls this counterpart the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the church. We are the ones that Jesus loves. We're the ones that all of the love of God is poured out upon. We are the recipient of all of the love that Jesus has in his heart. Christ paid the price for us. He laid down his life for us. He loved us with an everlasting love. In Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul tells husbands to love their wives. He says to love them as Christ loved the church. He's telling husbands to love your wife with the same kind of love that Jesus has for his bride. In Ephesians 5, 
when the Bible says for wives to submit to their husbands, the Bible is telling wives to submit to them just as the bride of Christ, the church, is to submit to Christ. And that's why Paul says he's not really talking about marriage when he's talking about husbands and wife, wives. He's talking about Christ and his church. He's talking about the love that Jesus has for us. Do you really understand the kind of love that God has for you? How deep and how perfect and how tender and how gracious and how incredible God's love is for you? Or do you think, well, I'm just not good enough for God. I just can't do enough for God. Uh, God must be disappointed in me. You know, I, I just need to try harder so I don't feel so guilty. Listen, you need to stop looking at your inadequacies and you need to start looking at God, looking at God's love. God's love forgives a multitude of sins. The love of God for you is patient. The love of God for you is kind. The love of God for you bears all things. The love of God for you believes all things. The love of God for you hopes all things. The love of God for you endures all things. The love of God for you never fails. If you've ever truly loved someone, I want you to take all of that love, take the sum of that love, and I want you to purify it with, a, with an eternal fire, and I want you to multiply it exponentially, and you won't even come close to a fraction of the kind of love that God has for you. God loves you that much. You see, this is what God's up to. This is the divine mystery that has now been revealed to us, that God has so much love for us, that he created us to be a people from every background and every nation and every language. He created us to be a part of his family for all eternity. And that's why right now, as we endure this separation caused by us trying to keep this pandemic to a minimum, we miss being together because church is a lot more than just seeing one another, seeing your friends. It's a lot more than that, and you know that. Church means experiencing the eternal love of God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit toward us. And it's, it's experiencing that together. And so even if we can't be together like we want to, we know that God is faithful. We know that his love for us endures. And when we are able to come together, hopefully soon, we know that it's going to be a sweet celebration because we're going to be reminded when we see one another that God the Father is creating a bride for his son. You know, today, if you want to be a part of God's family, he's only a prayer away. And I would ask you to just to take a moment to talk to him, tell him what's on your mind, what's in your heart. If I can be of any assistance to you, I Hope that you'll email me at david at broadviewchurch.com. And I hope you'll tune in next week as we explore a little bit more of God's eternal purpose in you. God bless you. Have a good day.